My name is Susie. I have three children, the youngest of whom struggles with anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. I never thought this could happen to me, and I miss the signs. Being a parent is really hard, but I'm here to help. I'm talking to other parents and experts to help you with the struggles that your kids may face. I want you to know that you are not alone and there is hope. I'm not a physician, therapist, or counselor. I'm just a mom. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds. I keep covering up the sun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Just a Mom podcast. I'm so excited today to be joined by Erin. Thank you, Erin, for being here with me in the Just a Mom studio. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited, too, and I'm really excited. I have to just brag a little bit on my family that you're the first person that I'm interviewing in the new and improved studio. So this is makes me really happy that I'm looking at my Just a Mom logo that my daughter-in-law painted on the wall in here. And I'm looking at the Just a Mom mugs that Will gave me and the Just a Mom blanket that my friend Karen gave me. I'm not wearing my Just a Mom t-shirt that my daughter made, but needless to say, I feel like this is really official now. So thanks. looks amazing. It's pretty cool, isn't it? (laughs) It Uh, It's a vast improvement for anyone who um, recorded before this, and I'm sorry they had to see that. But now I feel very professional and official. So anyway, we'll we'll just get started um, in your story. So Erin, would you just tell us a little bit about you and your family, um, how your journey as a parent of someone who struggles with mental illness started, please? Um, Okay, so in May of 2019, uh, it was my son Anthony's junior year. Um, at the end of his junior year, and he'd gone to a graduation ceremony for uh, one of his good friends. And for about six months leading up to that, I had seen big changes in his moods and his behavior. And I just kept a really close eye on him. And I, I told him, you know, if you ever need to talk to anybody, just let me know. You know, you can always talk to me, but if you need somebody to talk to professionally, I'll find them for you. Um, and that evening, uh, before he left to go to the graduation ceremony, he had kind of an outburst. And um, so I didn't really want him to leave on, on those terms. Um, but he went to the ceremony and um, I guess it was probably maybe a couple hours later, I got a phone call. And he said, Mom, I need help. Hmm. I need you to meet me at the hospital. And the school was, you know, two minutes down the street. Did you meet him at the hospital? We met at the high school. You met at the high school? We met at the high school. And we talked for probably an hour and a half. Okay, just the two of you? Just the two of us. Um, And came to... The conclusion that we would not go to the hospital that night. Okay. Um, so you stayed up all night I watching st- him. I stayed up all night. Sure you did. I, I mean, was a I disaster. <laughs> yeah. um, because I didn't know really what was going through his head. Mm-hmm. I, he was having thoughts that he didn't want to be alive. But there was no plan. Um 
he was just really sad and uh, he just he didn't know how to handle what you know all of these things that are that are going through his head and so he thought you know I need I need to go to the hospital I mean I think he at that at that point in time he was just like I'm I think I'm losing it and it's mm. you know 17 year old kid trying to figure out why he's felt like this and I was just thankful that I kind of recognized that um the the mood changes over the months um I think that's a lot of times people put on blinders and they just don't want to see it. So mm. um, I just, I kept on watching him and um, I'm just glad that he spoke up finally mm-hmm. and said something. Sure. It wasn't something that I you know, forced him to go see somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of talked him through it and we were able to find a um, therapy group in Overland Park that um, that took him in almost immediately. Um, and he meshed really well with the therapist. And then he they evaluated him um, to see what was going on. And that took um, – he had to go on two different, two different days, and they were long days um, for, you know, for getting – getting kind of battered with questions and testing. And so he had about two six-hour days. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that's a pretty solid evaluation. A pretty solid evaluation. And he his original diagnosis uh, was psycho, cyclothymia. Which is? Which is, it's, I guess you could say, a mild version of bipolar disorder. Okay. Um, but if that's... What mild? I in my head, I was thinking, if this is mild, I don't want to see mm-hmm. anything so, yeah. else because he was the ups and downs, the anger, the depression. The he would just go into these moments of you know sleeping all day, and um, you know, so for four months we went through this and changes in medication and therapy. And every once in a while, I'd get this glimmer of the same boy that I knew before. And I, in my head, I was thinking, they're going to put him on medication. He's going to go through therapy. Everything's going to be fine. We won't have to worry about this anymore. Um, I take medication for depression and anxiety. And so I was kind of familiar with, with some of the different medications that they might throw out there. Um, and I gave him the choice, uh, when he was diagnosed, I said, I think that you're old enough that if you say to me, I do not want to be on medication, I will respect that, but we're, we're going to have to work really hard to get you in a good program of therapy and exercise and diet, you know, to try to try to change things. But he said, I want to take medication. Let's back up a second. I want to talk about what he was like as as an infant. Do, do you have other children? What was what was your home life like as he was growing up? Share a little bit about that, please. So, as um, as an infant, he had um, pretty bad stomach problems. Um, did not sleep well for two years. Mm. The first two years, I was up and down every couple hours a night. Um, I was exhausted. Uh, his 
father and I had divorced. And so it was just the two of us. And he, you know, he's my only child. Um, but finally he started sleeping better and he wasn't crying as much. And, you know, he seemed like a happy kid. He was just, um, you know, he laughed all the time. He had this, this just funny little laugh and he smiled all the time. And I think, you know, I try to go back in time and I look and you're always looking like, did, was there something that I could have seen earlier? <laughs> and I thought back to when he was in second grade. Um, I got a phone call from the teacher and she said, and I laugh about this because I'm just, I, I just thought, why am I getting called into class for this? They had, um, they would put the kids in groups of four in the classroom with all their desks facing each other. And she said, Anthony has a problem. And I'm like, uh, okay. And she said, he's very concerned about the other kids' desks not being neat and clean. And I just was like, and this is a problem, why? Right. I was thrilled because <laughs> one, one more mess she didn't have to worry right, about. Right, <laughs> right. And I'm just thinking, why? Well, I, I understand you know, maybe you don't want him like picking at the other kids to clean up their messes. But I said, he just, he, he kind of likes things neat. And so he went through this phase where everything had to be perfect, but then he did his typical, you know, the typical boy thing that they do where all of a sudden they just become dirt bags and they've got stuff everywhere. <laughs> yes. For those who don't have teenage boys, yeah. get ready. Yeah. So he, um, but he's always kind of had a little bit of, he had to have kind of control over everything, making sure his, his things, his Legos, his, his um, action figures, all those kinds of things that, you know, everything was there and it was in its place. Um, so, but I just thought that was a quirk. Mm-hmm. Um, and it probably was, honestly, when he was that little, the pediatrician said, so maybe it's a little OCD or, um, but it's nothing major. This is okay. Mm-hmm. He's not hurting anybody. And he was bossy, um, but <laughs> they said he's an only child. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, sometimes only children can be really bossy. And I was like, okay, no big deal. Um, we like to call it leadership skills. Right. <laughs> Good leadership skills. Yes, for sure. Um but he he got past that and you know he had friends and through elementary school and played the cello and was very artistic and nothing seemed out of the ordinary at okay. all through so, elementary school middle school i think middle school for any parent that has had a child in middle school they know that's like the worst middle school is a different beast yeah if i could have just skipped that section and moved on to high school i would have been absolutely <laughs> i think we would all agree with that <laughs> um but his definitely when he got into high school he, there was this strong need to either be in a team or with a group of people and uh, which he did do that. He was an ROTC and went to competitions and he was in the orchestra and he was in this orchestra strolling group. And so 
he had all of these activities he was in and things were going well. Um, and I would say towards the end of his sophomore year, that shifted. Okay. And I just, I just always paid very close attention uh, to what was, you know, how he was doing in class. Um, he always had really good grades. Things started to slip a little bit. So I thought, you know, is he doing drugs? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but in therapy, one thing that they did do is they would do drug tests actually pretty frequently. I think it, I think every time they went to switch a medication, um, you know, once he went into therapy, they would do drug tests. That was, of course, after the fact. I mean, you know, I'm thinking, is he doing drugs? But um, after he got diagnosed, they they were doing them. Um, but I didn't find any reason to think, you know, I knew all of his friends. Um, and he, he hung out with some good kids. Um, so why did you think he was potentially doing drugs? Just the just behavior, the behavior change? changes and the, you know, the amount of sleep he was getting. I mean, there's so much sleep. And this is his sophomore year leading up to his leading up to the junior, junior year. year. And Got then it. the first semester of junior year. Okay. So much, so much sleeping and started missing practices. And there was just this shift. Red flags. Yeah. Huge red flags. Um, but there wasn't anything that said to me, um, is he going to do something dangerous mm-hmm. to harm himself or other people? There was never anything there. It was more just kind of like, is he on drugs? Is he depressed? What's going on? Um, and then, you know, I started talking to him about getting help. And then I got the phone call from him. Mm. He was obviously aware that something was wrong because he called you, which is amazing. Yeah, definitely. That doesn't always happen. I, I was, I mean, I was super impressed um, because most people are afraid to reach out for help. Right. And so... But I've always had a very good relationship with him. And he's always known no matter what, he can talk to me about anything. I'm not going to judge. Just talk to me. Um, I was a kid. You know, I snuck out of the house. I did I did things I shouldn't have done. But he um, he knew that he could come to me about anything. And... I think that's one reason why he felt so comfortable mm-hmm. calling me and just saying, and I mean, he was just broken that mm-hmm. night. And it was, I, for me, it was, you know, it was devastating because here's this great kid mm-hmm. who's involved in things and he was dealing with, I mean, he was just, dealing with so much mm-hmm. and he couldn't figure out why mm-hmm. mm. he goes to therapy he's on medication he's got this diagnosis now mm-hmm. and so it's the end of the school year right because graduation right. so this is over the summer over the summer 
What so, happens when he goes back to school his senior year? Well, so, you know, through the summer, we, we kind of had some ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Um, but we felt like we kind of got him dialed in just a little bit. You know, enough. He was good to go back to school. He was ready to go back to school. And within three weeks, he started going downhill. Mm. And it was... Um, I could just tell he was getting more and more depressed. And I'm like, this isn't working. So they tried a different medication. And one morning, it was in September um, of 2019, I went down into his bedroom. Um, I was like, I have to go to work. Why are you still in bed? You're supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to be up. You've got to get ready. You've got to go to school. He wasn't talking. I mean, nothing was coming out of him. He had this glazed over blank look on his face and he was just laying there. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was, it was so scary. Like he, you're like, talk to me, talk to me. And he's not responding. He's just not responding to me. And he's, he was saying things like, I'm sorry. Um, you know, I can't, I can't go. And, you know, for a minute, I was just like, just get up and go. I mean, suck it up, you know? And I I couldn't believe that I was like that because it was that morning I called his um, therapist's office and they said, you need to take him to the nearest emergency room. Um, because I mean, he just was, I've, I've never seen, I'd never seen him like this. And, um, I said to him, I said, they want me to take you to the emergency room. You know, you, I want you to understand that. And at this point over the summer, he'd, he'd turned 18. Mm. So there's that. There's that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, so here's the deal. They might admit you. And if they admit you, you're going to have to sign the paperwork to go in. I just, I want to make absolutely sure that you understand this. I knew the gravity of the situation, Mm -hmm. but I'm also kind of, in a way, I was kind of giving him an out. And I don't know if it was me hoping that he was being overdramatic, maybe. I don't know. Um, And he said, we need to go. And I mean, I had to help him up the stairs. Mm. He was just, I mean, he was a shell of himself. And he's hes a big kid. I mean, he's 6'4". Oh, and wow, he's, yeah. yeah, he's tall. And, you know, he mm. just, he was not, it, I mean, it, it was it was so hard to see. And, you know, so we go, we go to the emergency room. They take him in. And it's really awful. Uh, in... For anybody that's had to take their child to the emergency room for a mental health crisis, at least in my experience, I felt that it was awful. I mean, they take everything away from you. I couldn't even take chapstick in there. And you're in a room without your shoes, without any of your belongings. And, you know, the TV's covered in plastic. I mean, there's nothing in there. Everything is bolted down in this room that they put them in. And... You can't, I mean, you can't do anything. I mean, you're cut off from the outside, basically. And 
so that didn't help. Um, they had somebody come in and evaluate him, but they were having a hard time deciding, here's this kid who's 18. Do we send him upstairs to the adult unit or do we have you take him down to Children's Mercy? Mm-hmm. They're like, he's 6'4". You know, he had stubble on his face. Yeah, yeah I mean. <laughs> so he's, I mean, he, he's a, he was basically a boy that looked like a man. Sure. So they sent him upstairs. Mm. Um, kind of, in hindsight, I wish that he would have gone to down the to the children's hospital. hospital. And this was an adult psychiatric unit. A, adult psychiatric unit. And his roommate in there was probably upper 50s. Oh, wow. Yes, he was. A, he was a. His roommate was upper fifties, and um, while Anthony was in there, he called me. Fr- he was in there for five days. Um, called me frantically and said they're releasing my roommate because his insurance won't pay anymore. What do we do? Mm. I said, well, there will be a social worker or something there that will help him. Um. You know, I was like, if, if they, if he doesn't have anywhere to go and he's going to have to live in his car, I'm like, I'll, I'd rather put him in a hotel myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, you know, they, they found accommodations for him. But so Anthony was upset about that. And, you know, he was going into uh, group therapy with people who had totally different life experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and. He, you know, he would sleep a lot. He would watch TV. Um, he said, I ate a lot of saltines and peanut butter. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> when, when he went up to that unit, I'm assuming you were not allowed to go with him. Um, I was allowed to go with him um, until they, 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 during the intake, I was allowed to be okay. there. But after the intake, I couldn't go with him, and I could only be there during visiting hours. Okay, how was that for you? Um, well, I was in transition. Um, I was actually interviewing for a new job mm. um, the very next day, uh, so it was stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're leaving your kid yes, in the psych unit. Yes, and it was it was really. I mean, it was. You know, it was hard because anything you would bring in for me, I mean, you couldn't bring shoes with shoelaces and you couldn't bring sweatpants that had a, Mm -hmm. you know, a string on them or anything. You could bring things for them, but, you know, they had to go through everything and it felt very, you know, you there, there's a certain feeling, a feeling of feeling somewhat violated because people are digging through your things. I mean, I understand the purpose Mm -hmm. of that, um, but it was hard. And it was a little awkward. Um, he could call me whenever he wanted to. So he did. He would call me frequently. Um, and he'd called me about on day, it was about two and a half days in. And he said, I shouldn't be here. I'm in the wrong place. Oh, wow. Yeah. And how did you respond and to I, that? I, I just said, hey, buddy, I'm like, I'm sorry, but you, this is the right place. I'm telling myself that this is the right place. You need to be there until they're done working with you. And then, you know, you can come home. 
And so he was there for five days. Mm. Uh, it was the longest five days of my life. Um, honestly, I, I hadn't, you know, spending that time away from him. I'd obviously spent time away from him because he would do mom's house, dad's house. Um, and, but it, it was different because I didn't have full access to him. Mm-hmm. I couldn't just call him or just go to his room and see him sitting there in his room. And then there was the thought of, what do I tell people? Mm. But I, you know, I'd never had a hard time explaining to people what was going on with him. But you want to say it in a way, because I think with the stigma with mental health, it's scary. It's, it's scary for everybody. But I think it's more so because people they they don't know enough about it. Right. Yeah. And so he um when he got out of the hospital um we laugh now and we still laugh about this as we were walking outside. I said, "Well, did they have an area that you guys could go outside or do anything like that?" He said, "Yeah, there's one up on the roof." He, and I said, "Well, he goes it's like a it's like a balcony thing." And I was like, but they wouldn't let you go out there. And he's like, mom, we're a bunch of people that want to kill ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no. Idea, right. <laughs> so to this day, we still kind of laugh about that because it was just that moment. I was trying to find things. I'd never had a hard time having a conversation with him. And I was trying to find things to talk about mm-hmm. that didn't kind of, that wasn't gloom and doom. Yeah. Mm. You know, just like, I'm happy about this. This is great. You know, you went through and and while he was there, we got a new diagnosis. So that was, he was diagnosed as having bipolar one. Okay. Um, And so that probably ensued medication changes again. Medication changes again. And, And let's talk about medication changes. So... Most psychiatric drugs, to my knowledge, and again, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a therapist, I am just a mom, but we've been through different medications Mm -hmm. with Will. Most psychiatric medications do not take effect immediately. Correct. Quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. I mean, they, it can take up to like three, four weeks for things to start kicking in. Um, But... Every time he was taking something, it would kick in pretty quick for him. Good. Um, but it, there was this constant change. Yes. I mean, at this point, we're on like the fourth new medication mm. that we've tried, um, which, you know, you get used to that. Then you have to wean off of it. Then you have to start the new one and you kind of have to wean on to that. And so you're, you're just going, you know, there's this never ending cycle of changes and then you know you're still you're dealing with a kid who at this time is 18 and he's still going through hormonal changes and and it's just it it was just kind of this non-stop of medication and um you know he would say um you know I'm I'm just not creative when I'm taking it Mm. I'm not you know because he's very into art and musical and he's you know all of these things and he just didn't it it was hard taking this medication because he's just he's not himself 100 Mm -hmm. percent 
So it flattened him a bit. It did. Mm. It did. And then um, he did. He still, when he left the hospital, was not right. They get you in there. They get you dialed in on your medicine. And then they get you out. When he got out, what was the next step? What was the plan? Was there? He had a plan. Um, getting out, he was ready to go back to school. He had talked to the therapist um, while he was in the hospital and said, what do you think about me getting up in front of each of my classes and explaining where I've been and what's going on? Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And the therapist was like, this is great. <laughs> I think it, I think it's a great idea. If you're comfortable with it, do it. And... So he did, and it kind of backfired. Oh, no. Um, he got up, you know, because naturally he was gone for five days, just out of the blue. And he got up and he explained what had happened, and he said it was just blank stares. Nobody asked any questions. Nobody said anything. He wasn't expecting people to go, oh, I'm sorry, you know, anything like that, but Maybe ask a question. Something. Something. Anything. And then people started avoiding him. Uh, even his friends? No, he still had like his his small core group of friends. Well, that's good. And they were there and they were all really great. But he had other people like in his classes that just started kind of keeping away from him. Wow. Like, you know, like he was this pariah mm. and... That oh that hurt. Oh, sure. That hurt. And so he started to snowball again. Uh, well, uh, and, and here's the thing. If he had stood up and told his classmates that he had diabetes mm -hmm. or cancer or any other right. medical diagnoses, they would have said, oh, my gosh, you're so brave. What can we do to help you? You know, what do you need? Right. And and this was just three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got, I mean, we still have so much work to do. Oh, there's so much work to do. In breaking I mean, down stigma. It's, and he still, that wasn't the first time that something like this had happened to him. Um, you know, it went on until... Um, well, he had started missing school and this is his senior year. Things are not going well. He's having to take the bare minimum that he has to take to be able to graduate at this point. And they said, well, maybe we should send him over to the other, the alternative school. Mm -hmm. Um, so he can take classes over there. So it'll be easier for him. And I was like, hold on. He just is having a hard time being in classrooms with a lot of people. How come he can't go? And he was getting counted absent because he would go to the library and he'd sit in there mm -hmm. and he would do all of his studying in there. And he was comfortable with that. Um, he just was having a hard time being in the classroom. Because well, he had all of, yeah, all of these kids are like, yeah. 
you know, let's, let's stay away from him. Right. Why in the world would he want to be there? Right. And so then they want to shoo him off to, you know, quote unquote, like, you know, to the undesirable group. Mm. Um, and he wouldn't have been able to graduate with his class. I mean, he would graduate at the same time, sure, but not but with the kids that he'd gone to school with all sure. that time. You know, and then COVID hit. So <laughs> there you go. So so yeah. was COVID a good thing or a bad thing for him? Um, I think good in the sense that I was able to see him more and see his behaviors and he you know he was doing okay I kind of kept him on a schedule and um so that was good but bad in the sense that you know you're not seeing all of your friends right you're you know we would we made exceptions though we were probably like the, the we weren't, we wouldn't have, we were not having like super spreader parties or anything, but we would let him have, you know, like four friends over right. and hang out in the basement. Because you've got, I mean, the thing is for, I don't know, for any person, this mm-hmm. isolation is not good. Mm-hmm. And particularly for kids who struggle yes. with mental illness. Yes. And, and especially people that um, have bipolar they like to have people around them and they like to know that the people that they have around them are, are always going to be there Mm. and are very close and kind of, you know, they, they feel, um, you know, I can't tell you how many times when he hits a low, I hear things like, I don't have any friends. Nobody likes me. I'm a friend of convenience. Mm. Um, and it's just that's the thought that he's having. That's mm-hmm. his thought process. And it's not the case. I mean, he's he's got some great friends. He doesn't have a huge group of friends, but he has he has a good set of friends. Um, you know, whenever he comes back here, he's always busy. And he, mm-hmm. you know, he'll have him come over to the house and you know, they've they've always been really supportive of him. Mm-hmm. So it was hard when he went to um, after he graduated and he went away to college. I think honestly, him going away is so he's he's at K State, so it's far enough away, but not too far away. Mm-hmm. I can hop in the car and I can be there in no time. Um, I think it's been the best thing for him. Um, you know, he's he's thriving. Oh, good. It has not come without. It's problems, though. Um, some great things have happened and some bad things have happened. Um, three weeks into being there in the dorm. So, you know, it's COVID and they say we're going to let kids come to school, but the classes are going to be virtual. And living in the dorm, you couldn't have anybody in your dorm that didn't live in that dorm. It's only people that lived in those dorms. So he was very isolated. Mm-hmm. He had a single room, super isolated. He ended up, <clears throat> I knew that he was depressed. We talked a lot. And one of the ways I can tell when he's having a hard time is, is he starts ordering DoorDash. 
Uh-huh. I right away, I'm like, he's getting DoorDash. Okay. He's got this is this is one of the things that I pay attention to. Sure. Um, and I, you know, he would say things like, I don't have any friends here. And I'm like, just go out in the hall and meet people. He goes, but we can't, you know, we can't do that. We're not, we're not allowed to go sit down in the lounge or anything like that with groups of people. And he ended up talking to, um, one of the people in student services, um, and they brought up that a lot of students on campus have ESAs. What what is an ESA? So, so emotional support animals. Oh, okay. And I'm thinking he lives in a dorm. What kind? Like what? I think they said the only like, you know, you couldn't have anything like a horse, obviously. And I'm going, <laughs> oh my gosh, are you kidding me right now? So that was his next. I mean, he was hot on the track to find something. He's like, I'm going to get a dog. And I'm like, you know, a dog in a dorm. And, but they said, you know, this will be good. He'll have that support, but also it gives him purpose Mm -hmm. and it gives him, you know, responsibility. And we went on the search for that. And, um, there were some rescues that wouldn't even call him back. He explained in his applications, I have bipolar. I'm trying to find a a dog that I can use for an ESA. Some people wouldn't call him back. Um, I finally, I had been, you know, I had looked uh, at some places and I called a, a um, rescue group in Clay Center, which was about 20 minutes from Manhattan, and explained what he was doing and I said you know there's there's been rescues that haven't called him back you know I mean a lot of people don't want to put a dog in a dorm you know they're sure they they want it to be a healthy environment for the the animal as well I understand that um but they said oh no we've got a couple here that would be really good options for that oh that's awesome yeah and we're not you know a mental health disorder is not going to be an issue. We do have a very, you know, we have an interview process and then the board has to get together and decide, you know, is this the right environment for both the the people and the animal? And um, he'd gone to look at one specifically. And I said, well, there's this other one there that I saw that I want you to check out. His name is Roscoe. And he just looks like the happiest dog and he said, well, that's one of the ones I'm looking at, but I'm going to look at this other one. And when he got there, Roscoe was out and he immediately just was like on him and like practically hugging him. Oh, that's so sweet. He didn't, yeah, he didn't even look at another dog after that. And wow. the, the interesting thing is, is Roscoe's, he's different. He doesn't really know how to dog. Um, what do you mean? Like he doesn't play with toys and he'll do this thing where he was, he was pretty finicky. He'd been returned twice. Oh, wow. And in fact, just like two weeks before Anthony got him, not, you know, it was just people just returned him. Yeah. Like I can see maybe why he, I mean, he's a little strange. <laughs> well, and, and I think too, some people don't know what they're getting into when they right. adopt a dog. Right. And uh, two days after Anthony um, got Roscoe, I 
woke up to like my phone had gone off in the middle of the night and I didn't think anything of it. I just kind of let it go. I thought it's spam or something. And then my text started going and I looked at it and it was a text from his best friend who lives in Manhattan, but lived in an apartment and couldn't get into the dorm. Um, apparently through social media or something, something I, I don't to this day, I don't even know what was said, but something was said and uh, Anthony's friends immediately went to the dorm. Wow. Called the dorm, said, you need to go check on him. We don't think he's okay. They tried to get into the dorm. They wouldn't let them in. And whenever they have to do a wellness check on students in the dorms, they call the police. Sure. So the police show up. They're up in the hallway. People are peeking out their doors. Mm. And it's the middle of the night. It's the middle of the mm. night. And Anthony let let the police in and let the person from the dorm in. And Roscoe was right there with him. And um, all I knew was, is that Anthony, they, there was some sort of crisis. He they were concerned for his well-being and that the police were there. That was all I knew at this point. So for about an hour, I was just waiting in the middle of the night. I'm like, no, I'm, oh my I'm like, I'm driving there. I'm driving there. And, um, the, I, I got a phone call from the police officer that said, I'm in the car now with Anthony and Roscoe. Oh. <laughs> and she said, um, Anthony is, he was very nice when we got in there, he's having um, some suicidal ideation. So we're taking him to the crisis center. This is the first episode of a two-part series with Aaron. My conversation with Aaron will continue on episode 11, which will become live on March 21st. Make sure to share all of these episodes. And thanks again for listening to the Just a Mom podcast. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or ideation, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. Once you smile again, take away that pain and them clouds that keep covering up the sun. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain and them clouds that keep covering up the sun. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please share this with your friends and anyone you think may find these interviews helpful. Thanks again for listening to Just a Mom.